wonder how my day went last night. We had a gender reveal, so it looks like we're having a little girl. Praise God. That was Friday, and so we're excited about that. Pray for my wife. This is uh, number five, and each time has been harder, all right? So pray for my wife, pray for her health, pray for the baby. Um, and then we had a good day yesterday, so that was Friday night. Yesterday we had a good day, went to the zoo for somebody's birthday, a little birthday party, so we were wiped out. So we get home, and it's about 8 o'clock, and you know, when you get a little bit older, sometimes you get excited about going to bed early. Is anybody at that point yet? So it was like 8 o'clock, we're like, let's just go to bed. What do you want to do? Let's just go to sleep. So she goes up about 8. I said, I'll be up there in a half an hour. I got to do a little bit of work on my computer, work on the computer. And then, because I'm a man, I realized, you know, I haven't seen these since Friday night, these keys. In case you don't know, keys, keys are kind of important. So for the next two hours... Two hours, praise God. I went through garbage bags. You ever done that? You ever had something lost so bad? You go through garbage bags, tore up the bedroom, went in both cars, outside with a flashlight. They probably thought I'm breaking into the house. Everywhere in the house, under the couches, under the cushions. Two hours, about an hour and a half into it, I'm like, all right, God, you know where these are. And so I start to pray. Um, but that didn't help. You know, I mean, they were still lost. And so then I was like, all right. Guys, uh, I realized very quickly, if I don't have these keys, we can't get in here tomorrow. So I'm like, I texted a few people. I'm like, all right, this is so stupid, but pray for me. I lost my keys. And they're like, okay. And I guarantee you, I sent those texts, and within three minutes, I found them. So moral of the story, pray earlier. Ask for help earlier. I don't know. Don't lose your keys if you're a guy. I don't know what to do. But um, I want to tell you something. When these keys were lost, um, they weren't any less valuable. They're not. They were just as valuable as they'd always been. They were, it wasn't a value of, matter of value. It was a matter of position. It was a matter of location. And as, yeah, Mike? Where were, where were they? They were next to my internet router. Yeah, because that's a great place to keep your keys. I don't know why they were there. They were there. And so um, I, well, when something's lost, like if you had, if you had a, wallet and it had five 20s in it, but all of a sudden you look and there's only four, that missing 20 is still just as valuable as the other $20 bills. In fact, you probably, if you're like me, you forget about the four that are in your wallet and you go out and you look for that one that's missing. Where did I put that? Did I drop this? We were calling places I had visited Friday night. Like I called once, I said, hey, are my keys there? Anybody lose keys? No. About an hour later, I'm like, Emmerich, you call. You sound nicer on the phone. Maybe, maybe they're in there, you know, maybe they're in there. And so she calls, and she's like, yeah, my husband lost the keys. She's like, I already told him. But when something's lost, it doesn't lose value. And it actually gains your attention. Because when these keys are not lost, I don't think about them. But when you know something is that you need is lost or something that you care about is lost, like you are out there and you are looking for it. My four kids, we have four, four currently. But when one of them is gone, like Jeremy, he likes to disappear, he takes all of our attention. We go after him. We turn the house up. We still love our other kids. Trust me, we don't stop loving them. But we realize all of our energy, all of our effort goes into finding the one that is lost. Jesus told a story about that, about a shepherd who had 99 sheep, and then one gets lost. And he puts all his effort into finding that lost one. So if something is lost or something is broken, um, uh, something is lost, it doesn't, doesn't lose its value. Today we're, we're going through a message called Unfiltered. 
And it's my idea, um, you know, life is messy, but God is faithful. I think that's true. But it's, it's my idea that not only do people that have never heard about Jesus sometimes get lost, but I think even sometimes when we know Jesus, we can get lost. We can get lost, we can get broken, we can feel dead. And so we have two testimonies that are going to be very powerful. If you have any young kids, they can or cannot be in here, but I'm going to tell you, parents, think about it for a little bit. Um, it's going to be real, it's going to be raw. Um, but Mr. Zane Petty, who has also been with us from the beginning, I thank God he is not moving to Minnesota. Come over here, Zane. He's going to start it off, and then his wife is going to finish. But this is a great man of God. And um, God has done great things in his life, and he's going to share with you some, some of God's faithfulness. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, like I said, my name is Zane Petty. My wife, Nicole, and I have been part of uh, the Lakeside Church since uh, about this time last year. And uh, Chris put out a couple of weeks ago uh, just kind of some feelers just to ask for people to give their testimonies, to tell their stories. And he included a lot of different things, and it was things like financial difficulties, difficulties in relationships, difficulties with your marriage. Uh, There was a whole list of different things, and I was like, wow, Nicole and I could do all of these things. We could talk about all of these things and how God has been faithful and has seen us through. And our stories today, like Chris said, they are very raw and they are very emotional, but I was struck by the Holy Spirit before I got up here just to do it with joy, to do it with joy because... I have an expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to work through somebody in, in these stories. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, spoiler alert, I'm, I'm an emotional guy. Uh, so I'll do the best I can in telling the story and uh, getting through because I think our stories are important. Because our stories link us to the gospel and it links other people to the gospel. And um, you don't get to hear people's stories that often. And um, I, I think of it as kind of the greatest stories never told are the stories that we keep from people uh, because we are too ashamed to talk about what Jesus has done in our lives. So like I said, our stories are raw and emotional. They're very different stories, Nicole and mine, but they're very linked together very seriously because uh, when we took a vow uh, to be married 17 years ago, we took those vows very seriously. So uh, to kind of give you a background, Nicole and I met in uh, 1996, started dating uh, the day after my birthday. Couldn't get it on my birthday, but the day after my birthday, we, we started dating. We married in 2000, and I joined the Army Reserves and shortly after 9-11, 2002, and went to basic training, came home, and shortly after I came home, I had to immediately leave to go on a deployment, and uh, Nicole uh, was eight months pregnant. If anybody has, any of y'all have spent time around people in the military, when you go away somewhere and you come home, uh, your wife gets pregnant. So that's probably why I have so many kids, because I've been away quite a few times. Uh, so she was eight months pregnant when I left. Uh, I got to come home and see our young, our oldest, uh, Ian, when he was born. But then I had to go back. So... I went back to Kuwait, that's where I was stationed, and I was very, I became a very bitter person. I was away from my wife, I was away from my newborn son, and it was hard, it was rough. But God saw us through, we made it through. I came home, and that bitterness made me a very different person. 
you know, a lot of guys take pride in the fact that they have an emotional switch that they can shut off, and I did that. And you, you shut those emotions off because you don't want to hurt people. But the very people I shut that switch off for were the people that, they're the people I was hurting the most. So I went back to work uh, shortly after I came home. I spent time with Nicole and with Ian. And I worked in a, in a pretty large office with a lot of different people. I worked in a smaller division in sales, and on the other side of the office uh, was a completely different division for the same company. That division did something like claims. It was a call center. And where I sat, I could see all those people, and there was a corridor that came right by my desk. It wasn't often that people from that other side used that corridor. There was really no reason for them to. They had another door that they could go out. So there was really no reason for people to go out that door. But one day, somebody walked by my desk, and I noticed. It was a woman from the other side of the office. And a lot of you probably think, that's a very common story, a man noticing a woman. But the way that I noticed her wasn't in a way that was pleasing to God. It was in an adulterous way. It was in a lustful way. But it didn't stop there. See, she noticed that I noticed. She noticed that I noticed her, and she sent me an email. But one email became two, two became ten, ten became hundreds, sometimes hundreds a day. And though I never had a physical relationship with this woman. I had a very deep emotional relationship. See, we would, the emails were very sexually explicit. And like I said, there were sometimes hundreds a day. And I was deep in this emotional affair. And I would do this all day long. I would get my shots of this drug that made me feel so good. And I would come home to my wife and my son and I was sick. All the time I was sick. And then I'd go back to work the next day and do the same thing all over again and come home and I would just be sick. Well, I just started working on a master's program and I was in our living room. We had a small living room and Nicole was sitting in a chair behind me and in a, in a moment of unexplainable grace, she was impressed upon the Holy Spirit to say something nice to me. Now, she claimed she hadn't said anything nice to me in a while. And I don't know if that's true or not. I was so deep in what I was in that I probably didn't even notice. And she said, Zane, I'm so proud of you. Thank you, Zane, for everything that you're doing for us. And that was enough. That was enough for all those walls to crash down. And for me to crash down too. So I literally crawled on the floor to her. And I told her, I had to tell her, that you have no right to be proud of me. You have no right to thank me 
Then I had to tell this woman that I love with all my heart, with all my soul, what I had been doing. And she kind of knew I'm a horrible liar. She kind of knew that something was going on because I wasn't normal. I wasn't acting normal. I was sick all the time. She knew that something wasn't right. So she went to her car. She didn't know what to do. She was thinking about leaving me. She came back in the house and she asked me, sitting, saying, please, please tell her. Tell this other woman that you love me, that you choose me. So I went back to work the next day, and I don't know if she was there or not. I told Nicole she wasn't. Days became weeks. At some point, I finally told her. I finally told her that my wife knew. I didn't tell her that what my wife wanted me to say. I wish I could tell you that. I wish I could tell you that I did exactly what my wife asked me to do. I wish that I could tell you that I got on my knees every morning and I asked for forgiveness. I wish that I could tell you that I opened my Bible and that I sought God's face through it all, but I didn't. I didn't do any of those things. I was so eaten up with the sin that I was in that I didn't do any of those things. I didn't. And in telling the story, I mean, it's like I said, that this was, Ian was two years old, it's 12 years ago. I mean, it's still raw, and I mean, it still hurts emotionally what I put my wife through. I put her through, I mean, for lack of a better term, a living hell. I was a horrible person through all of that. I said the meanest, horrible things that I could say to her. She was emotionally tore up. She was physically tore up. So nothing I did in all of that, nothing, not a single thing I did was help, not a single thing I did, but that's exactly the way that God wanted it to be. God wanted his grace to shine through my wife, and he wanted me to see that it doesn't matter sometimes what we do. I didn't do anything to save my marriage. God saved my marriage. God saved my marriage through a loving wife who, through all of that, chose to love me and not listen to the world, not listen to her friends at work who knew me and loved me too, but they told her, I don't know how you would stay with them after that. How could you do that? One even went so far as to, uh, she had a basement apartment that she could stay in. She said, I'm getting it ready for you, Nicole. You, you and Ian come and stay with me. But she didn't. She stood by my side because we had made a vow and a commitment to each other for better or for worse. And I was at my worst. I finally moved out of that office to another office. Uh, Emails kind of tapered down to, to nothing. God took away my desire to be injected with this feeling that I would get from talking with this other woman. And we rarely ever spoke face to face. We never had anything physical. It was just an emotional affair through email. And I say just, not in the sense that it was just something, because some of you probably have been in a situation like that. Some of you have probably been in a situation where you may have had something physical happen. But 
God's grace saw us through. God's grace saw us through. He saw through my wife to stick with me, to stick by my side, and to pray for me because I didn't have the will at that point to do it. I didn't. And that's how our salvation is. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can do. It's everything that God did. God did everything in my marriage through my wife. In his love, we made it. We made it. The world told us that we weren't going to make it. We made it. We didn't have a large church family that we could go to. I told my best friend who was head of the deacons, he never mentioned it again. He didn't even want to talk about it. That was too much for him. It was too real for him. So we made a commitment to be real with our testimonies, to be real with our stories, because there's too much fakeness going on. There's too many fake people who don't want to stand up in front of people and say, hey, this is what's going on in my life, and I'll do that. If it gives glory to God, think less of me. It doesn't matter. It matters what God gets out of this, and that God is glorified through our stories. So if you have, you have a story, I encourage you to tell it. I really do. Um, I mean, it wasn't easy what we went through, but we are so much stronger because of that. We've been through so much together. I mean, that's a snippet of, I mean, that's a snippet of 17 years of marriage. And Nicole's going to tell her story. And it's, like I said, it's a lot different than mine, but I'm thankful that I have this woman that loves me so much and that God worked through to save our marriage. Amen. Praise God. If you wanted a church with perfect people, you missed. All right, wrong one. All right, we've all got issues, and you've got issues too, and that's it's good to know. Now, Nicole, come over here. All right, now this is going to be different, but it's to show you there's not one of us that has it all together, and I'm so proud of her. This is going to know it's not going to be easy, but we love you guys. Love her, right? Amen. As I was talking to Zane this morning, I said the common thread can be between both of us is that um, our commitment to Christ and our vows and love um, is what we chose in the hard times um, when we didn't deserve it at all. And just as I loved my husband through the worst time of his life. Um, believe me, there were moments that I wanted to hate him, um, that I thought about walking away. But the night that I got in my car, Jesus just impressed upon me to, to love him through it. Give yourself and love him, and don't hold back. And I never did, no matter how hard it was. I loved him. And just as I loved him, because Christ knew there was going to come a time when he was going to have to love me through the hardest time of, and darkest time of my life. And it is still very raw, because it would, it, this is just within the last two years um, that we have gone through this, and I am still in a healing process. But my husband was led by the Holy Spirit 
and he was faithful. And we're we're healing, and God is God is so good. He's a good daddy. We sing about it. And he makes things new again, and I see how he's making me new again, and he's making my husband new again, and he's making my children new again. Um, in April two, April 1st, 2015, my husband, Zane Petty, did the bravest act of his life. He gathered his psychotic, raging, depressed, and broken wife from the bed and sought help for her. I don't remember many of the details. The one thing of that day that I do remember is that I tucked my very young baby into bed and I kissed him and I sang him until he fell asleep. For months I had been tormented by awful voices, thoughts, and that the best option for me was death. That my family deserved so much more than a life with me. I had been a caretaker to my own mother since the age of eight. My mother suffered with mental illnesses. I cooked, I cleaned, I took care of my younger brother. I was home alone. And here I was in the same situation where my children and I were just bundled on the couch daily and I could do nothing. But on this day, I had taken a bottle of pills. I prayed for God to take me. And he found me. And he found me with stories of abuse written all over my body, the worst things that you could write on your face. I do remember the first thing that I ever wrote across my forehead was the word ugly and the word hate. I had threatened divorce multiple times that if Zane took me to a hospital, that I would leave him and I would never turn back. I was a mental health worker. I was a therapist on a psychiatric unit. I knew all the signs. I knew all the things to do. And I was white knuckling my way for years. I had my first pregnancy in 2001. I've lost three babies and we had six children. And I had been pregnant for 14 years with only one year not being pregnant. So I'd white-knuckled my way through things and signs and warnings, and I broke that day. But my Jesus-loving husband looked upward for guidance, and he trusted fully that God would lead his wife to make the right choices, and I agreed to go. I wouldn't look at him, I wouldn't say goodbye to him, and I told him that he would never see me again. On July 12th, 2014, 
was when our last child was born, and he was born eight weeks early. And as soon as he was born, he was sent to the NICU, and it's so difficult on moms. I was quickly ushered back to the scary days of our fifth child, Adelie's birth. And she was born eight weeks early as well, and we were far from home, and our children were separated from us. I was diagnosed with PTSD after Ada's birth, but I refused to acknowledge that diagnosis. That my husband was a soldier, and that was for soldiers, and I can pick myself up and keep going. I saw the white light when I had Ada. My blood pressure was critical. Her blood pressure was critical. They were having to make decisions. She was not dropped into the birth canal. There were things they didn't know if she was ready to come. Internally, they had to put in monitors, and I had no pain medication. I was, I was so close to, my organs were failing. I was so close to death that there was nothing that they could do, not even a C-section It would kill me. But in that moment, I started yelling the name of Jesus in that moment of pain when they were trying to put the monitors on Ada to save her. And I looked over to my right, and I saw the brightest light I'd ever seen. And the top of my head went numb and warm, and it felt like home, and it calmed me to the tips of my toes. And I saw Zane speaking to me, and I couldn't answer. And then in that moment, she was born. So for me to want to die, to take my own life because I wasn't worthy, felt like a mockery to me because Jesus had been there right at that moment when I, when I was so close to death. And I had such a miraculous birth with her. I lost my family during that time, my mom and dad. I had to sever ties with them. I was alone, I had preemies. Ada was sick, then I had another preemie, and I just lost it. I became a raging lunatic. I was screaming at the walls. I was screaming at my husband. Just things didn't make sense. My kids were scared. My husband was scared. And fear and rage and anxiety just took over. I told two of my closest friends that something was not right, that I was hearing things that I shouldn't, and I was out of control, and they just looked and never said another word. And so as the months progressed, I was completely taken over by depression, a depression so deep that I felt like I was this tiny little person at the bottom of a pit, like I, I could... It was like I was looking up, and I was like, Jesus, I can't live this way. I watched my mom live this way. This was not what I wanted for my children. I've, I've messed it all up. I just need to die. Please take me. Please take me. And this consumed me 24-7. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't showering. I wasn't changing clothes. I was getting lost, taking my kids to school. I was walking in circles in grocery stores with nothing in my cart. I could no longer cook, which I had so loved. I couldn't even read my Bible. 
or anything written in it. The only prayer that I prayed was that he would take my life so that I wouldn't have to. And Zane took over everything. He was working. He was getting his, his master's degree, and he was taking care of everything while I was just screaming at him daily. We were living in complete chaos, and we were alone. So here on April 1st, 2015, Zane put me in a car, and he took me to the hospital. And like I said, I wouldn't even look at him. I wouldn't even say goodbye to him. So I share all of this to show God's amazing power and strength in our absolute weakness. Nothing was left of me. Nothing but the air I breathed sustained me. I tried to die. Twice I came near death and God said, absolutely no, I have work for you. The doctor looked at me and she said, I do not know how you survived this. And I knew in that moment that I had work to do. And I was put into a unit for psychotic women. I was hospitalized. And this was the worst unit to be in. And I started coming around after the correct medications were given to me. And God began to work in me immediately. The rage was going away. My mind was quiet. I felt God leading me to talk to anyone that would listen about him. My heart was so full of love for my husband and how God used him to save me. He called me that night so afraid to speak to me. And I said, please come. Please come. I love you. That was not me. I said, it's not true what I said. I want to be your wife for the rest of my life. While I was there, I was a quiet observer. I'd, I found a Bible, and I just held it. And one by one, women began to sit by me and share their horrible stories. These women were unloved and horribly abused. I told them about Jesus and his love and his mercy, his forgiveness and his hope. And one woman came and woke me up at 2 a.m. in the morning, and she had never spoken to anyone while she was there in the hospital. And she shared her story, and I held her, and I just let her cry. I was moved to a high-functioning unit and began to share about Jesus there. And when it was time for me to leave the old unit, the women lined up to hug me goodbye, and we all cried. I would often get in trouble with the staff for hugging any of these women, and they were craving love and a true love of Christ. And I began to talk about Jesus, and once I was moved to the new unit, men and women wanted to hear about the love of Christ. And on Easter Sunday, I was there on Easter Sunday, away from my family. But on Easter Sunday, I sat with a young woman, and she always sat alone, and she never spoke to anyone. And we were seated by a window eating lunch, and I mentioned that it was a beautiful Easter Sunday. Just It was glorious. 
And I wasn't sad. I was happy. I was eager to be with my family soon. And I looked at her, and she had never heard of Easter and said that she was clueless about who Jesus Christ was because I had prayed over our meal. And she was intrigued and wanted to know more, and she became my meal buddy. And the day that I was discharged, a nurse, whom I didn't even recognize, was so excited to see me. He said, I, I know you don't remember me, but I was your admitting nurse, and I'm shocked at your transformation. You look nothing like the woman that came through the door on your first day. And I read several verses over and over during my treatment. John 1, 1 And it wasn't until a few months later that I understood the significance, especially John 1, 4 through 5. And it says this, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus finds us in the dark, how messy it is, how horrible it is, how I have to tell my children, hey, guys, I got to tell you some hard stuff. But I try to take my life. But he shines in that darkness. And through those cracks, his light shines, and you can reach out to people that you never knew you could reach out to. And so I was able to shine God's light on others. I had lost hope in everything, and he used this darkness to bring me closer to his life, light. And my love for my husband, he's the bravest man that I know. And the love that I have for my children to do everything that it takes through this healing process to be better for them. My love and my faith for Jesus grew by leaps and bounds, and he moved me to a deeper faith in him that I craved. And at that moment, everything in me changed. Everything. And it led me here. I didn't want status quo anymore. I'd lived a life in secrets with my family. I'd lived a life in secrets in church where you plunge this stuff down and you don't talk about it because you're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be ostracized. And I'm not fearful of that for one more second because there are people out there that are struggling with the same thing that I am and God is right there in the midst and you are not alone. My recovery is in its third year, and I still have battles. I'm not completely healed. And after that time, I relapsed two times. Two weekends in a row, I tried to take my life. And it was because my, my mother and father refused to come see me and said they were no longer comfortable to be around me. But what I have done is I, at that time I learned to start slowing down and go at God's pace for his plan is perfect. And then I sought healing prayer when I felt God leading me to, to it. I knew nothing about healing prayer. I grew up in a very just, um, just agenda Baptist church like you follow the list and then you're done for the day in the bulletin. But I needed something deeper to heal me, and I found that healing prayer, and that day I was healed. Never again have I thought that my life was not worth living for Christ. 
that my children deserved their mother, that my husband deserved his wife. So he has taken my healing to a whole nother level. He has transformed me, and in the darkness, his light has shined. And I just wanted to share that with everyone. Praise God. So, I mean, I don't think that there's anything that we can say to really add on. We're going to be wrapping um, this morning up, but this is a place you can be real. You can be honest. You have your own stuff. You don't have to force it down. You don't have to hide it. It may not look like their stuff, but you've got yours, and I've got mine, and God is God. No matter how dark it gets, um, he can... He can bring the light. And uh, I don't know if Rhonda or Laura or somebody can come over here. Um, we're going to give an opportunity. I feel like one of the things, and it's not just because there's a coffin in the lobby, all right? So this is not just because there's a coffin in the lobby, but God wants to bring the dead to life. And um, I think there can be people, you can even be walking with Christ and sometimes just break connection and, and be dead on the inside, be going through the motions. So with every, every head bowed, every eye closed, I don't, I'm not saying your story is the same as theirs because it's probably not. But if you're going through something as our prayer teams come up here to the front, if you're going through something, it, it could be big or small, but God is able to bring the dead to life. He's able to bring hope where there's no hope. He's able to bring peace where there's confusion. It just as Nicole was saying, you know, that's why we do prayer teams. We, we want to give a chance. I believe God still does miracles. Don't miss a chance to receive prayer. You may think, oh, my problem's not that big. God doesn't care. He does. You may think my problem is too big. What could God do? He's God. So if there's anything in your life that you could use prayer for or, or just some extra encouragement, there are, there are people up here that would love to pray with you. If you've got something, no matter how big or how small, would you just put your hand up if that's you? So I want to challenge you. If, if your hand is up, Take the next step. Take the next step. Now, I believe that God wants to touch some people. In fact, as I was praying for service this morning, I think if this is you, I believe God spoke to me about somebody that was going to be here today. I believe there's a gentleman here so ladies, you're already out of the mix. This is just for the guys. I believe God spoke to be about a man. If you're the type of guy, and this just gave me one clue, and I don't know who it is, but you watch the news and you kind of read between the lines. I'm not saying you're a conspiracy nut, but I'm saying this is a thing where you watch the news and you know that it's there's more going on sometimes than 
then we see you read between the lines, and you should. But if that bears witness with you and you're here today, I believe God has something special for you. And I believe you showed me that so you could come up and that God could really do something good in your life. Everyone, would you stand with me right now?